0: Inkling, the expanse and call of the sea. This is staying in.
1: Have any of you ever done a diet? I think you're you're talking to the wrong pair, really. Here All right. For a diet. For a diet. All yeah. right. Yeah. You've never like experimented at Lent. No, never done lads. No, I've never done that. I've never, you know, I've, I've 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 cut down before where I've said, "Oh, I won't have that second cream cake this <laughs> evening."
2: <laughs> <laughs> what what else does cutting down look like for Peter? You, you you look down in the shower and you think, "Well, you look when you're bending over to pick up the magpie, you look you look down, and you go, "Oh, that's a that's a bit more m- meat on the pudding than
1: usual. I better start cutting down." Yeah. What what does that? What does that look like? Well, I stopped at my worst point. Uh I was eating uh like a couple of <laughs> rounds of toast before bed.
2: What, how many is a
1: round? Two. <laughs>
2: four, four slices of bread. Of, and, what yeah. the, and what was on the what was on the what was on the bread?
1: Peanut butter. <laughs> Peanut <or> butter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, before bed.
2: Did you, did you, I want to just dig down deeper into this <laughs> a bit more because I find this fascinating. Did you have two and then go, um, you know, I really want another two or did you always have four?
1: It would always be two and then I'd, know, I'd be like, I'm still not so right, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Like, you know, you know how, and dog owners or or people who've been around a lot of dogs will know this, you know, when like you've got a dog. And then they're, you know, they're they're doing fine and they eat and they eat and they eat and then they throw up and then they eat the sick and then they eat some more things. And it's basically because their brains don't have the thing that tells them to turn off. That's what I've got. (laughs) So why aren't you thirty stone? Because basically because of Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, you know, ultimately I've got to the point now where I will turn to her and say, Do you think I should have couple of slices of toast and she'll be like do you really need it and i'll be like is this in is this why you're in bed as well two o'clock in the really. morning yeah yeah that's right <laughs> so, so what she's like your caddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
0: yeah i think a nine iron for this shot um so it's very i find that fascinating people because for most people the smell of toast mm. is what wakes them up in the morning but for yeah. you it just you associate it
1: with bedtime bedtime yeah yeah a lovely um cup of tea and uh a couple of slices of toast and then off to bed yeah, I used to have that, or I'd have like half a bag of nuts, or I'd have uh, a bag of crisps, or just really just snacks basically. I would finish dinner and then immediately go to the snack cupboard.
0: And and do you bury them like around the flat, like like, like a squirrel discreetly? Yeah,
1: just, yeah I, I I I sort of keep them stuck within my pouches of my cheek for later use. No, but I do. I did have at one point when. Uh, uh, one christmas where i got bought a vegan sweet set i had quite a lot of confection basically underneath the underneath the television in a little drawer to the point of i would open it up to get a game and like just sweets and crisps and all the sorts of things would just like <laughs> pop out and that was the point where i was like all right well this is mostly for the winter coat but after this i will the winter coat yeah you know a fat <laughs>
0: I know, but we have central heating Pete.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's not like you have to go and hibernate and live off your fat stores <laughs> for a few months. Yeah. Or is it? I don't know.
1: Oh I like to I like to do a thing every year where I where I go for as long as possible without turning the heating on. I love that. I love that. I
2: think that I think that's pretty pretty normal.
1: But I think but but looking down absolutely looking the uh, down the barrel of the gun. As it gets towards winter, and you're like, "Oh, it's freezing. Shall I put on the radiators?" Because as soon as you do that, it's breaking the seal. As soon as you do that, you can't, you can't go back.
0: Does that, does that satisfy you, Sam, in terms of an answer? Well, yeah, I mean,
2: blind me, we've we've kind of gone the full gamut of you know middle-aged
0: white British man. I thought I knew everything I needed to know about Pete <laughs> but you always continue to surprise Chris Sam you
2: took me to uh, a special place I did the other day yes. finally Pete I've been I've been asking for an introduction um, to Chris's special place for ages he keeps on like going there and Go, he keeps he keeps going there and having like evenings with his other friends and just being like you know don't don't get an invite nothing mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and then for for whatever reason finally said oh why didn't you come down I'm going to my local board game cafe yeah, like, I think you're ready I think, yeah you've passed the test uh, you solved the riddle um, so yeah Chris invited me um, to join him and a friend of ours a mutual friend at his local board game cafe
0: Board Beans. Board Ooh, Beans which cafe. has recently just opened back up. Yeah, after being unfortunately closed during lockdown and doing a fantastic service of board game rentals which we talked about in the previous episodes of the pod.
2: Yeah, we were kind of like we were kind of thinking about that because there was a couple of games that we played the other day and we were just like, "Oh, we quite like to, you know, take this home with us." You know, a bit like Blockbuster. You know, we we've had like a taste of this game, but we'd really like to play it again and and take it home. Anyway, um, so yeah, so we went to we went to Board Beans, and paints us oh, a
1: picture. Paints us a picture. What happens when you walk in?
2: You walk in, and you hope that you're going to recognise the people that you're looking for because they might be wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like chance encounters. It's a bit more like open plan. Lots of uh, nice wooden tables, wooden benches to sit on. And then the standard sort of, the standard issue wall of games. Yeah. It's quite a nice setup because it's got a big like wall of games. And then it's got like a smaller sort of like side cubby of um, family games, specifically family games. So a lot of stuff from Habba in there actually, Ooh. which is really nice to see. Which is all pretty much bright yellow. Which is all, yeah, bright yellow. And then alongside the family games, there's a nice sort of selection of smaller things, like like some two-player games, I think, and things like, like Love Letter and, you know, The Mind. Like small little box games like that. And then yeah. uh, just like a countertop filled with some really nice cakes and brownies oh, yeah. and sweets. And uh, then obviously in the corner, the games for sale, which, uh, whoops. So, so, yeah, so we, we went there, and we had, oh, it was so it was just really nice to like not be in each other's houses and to just experience like a social event with like other people and other strangers. like I, don't, I know that sounds weird, but like that's the appeal of, for me, like theater, cinema, when we went the other day, it was there was a Pokemon tournament on um so it was it was rammed like there was loads and loads of people in there mm-hmm. and it was just absolutely you know buzzing and it was a really nice environment to be in like sharing sharing the the joy of one singular thing with other people together
1: it's nice to be going out and being around others that share an interest but you don't know isn't it it's nice it feels a little bit more it's like yeah a reminder of normalcy
2: yeah i mean like um, I think what defined it for me is we were in there and uh, we uh, were staying quite late and um, (laughs) some people walked past and then they, they, they knocked on the glass. They went... (laughs)
1: <laughs> and ran away and I was like,
2: Yeah, you know when you're in a, like yep. a niche thing that <laughs> the, <laughs> the British
1: public is back.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like and that's like the most like, we're back to normal, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I, I really like that board game cafe experience because it is like being in a restaurant where you're waiting for your food and then you see what other, you see what other people have had delivered to their table and go, Oh gosh, what, where's that? And you look at the menu. <laughs> it's a bit like that. You look and go, What what are they playing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a there was a there was a
2: table next to us playing, was it the
0: Alchemist? Alchemist, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they that were playing that
2: the, we were in there for about three, four hours and they were playing that one game for that I don't yeah. even think they'd finished by the time that we left. Jeez, that and um it wasn't quite like the time, Chris, that <laughs> we were in Sugar and Dice in Liverpool. And we were playing some stuff together and some people walked in and they pulled Dead of Winter, didn't they, off the shelf. And they literally like opened the rules on page one and went, all right, everybody, all right, everybody, set up. And I was just
0: like, oh, my oh, God. You're- <laughs> I've got that here, actually. We need to play that at some point. Yeah, actually, we yeah. do. Yeah.
2: But yeah, but they look like um, Fraser, the guy who runs it, kind of just like ran around the tables, um, basically, you know, teaching six games at once. Um, does a great job of yeah. uh, sort of making everyone because that's like that's the the only thing i don't like about board game cafes is that um when i get a game or when i'm playing a game for the first time it's just me and the rules for a bit right it's yeah. just like me and the yeah. rules for hanging you know it. yeah we're just hanging out for a couple of days we're getting to know each other Mm-hmm. We're seeing how the game plays, and then and then I'm ready to play or to teach it. however, when we 're in like the board game cafe, someone pulls a game off the shelf, hands me the rule book i don't know why, and then just like then I feel under pressure to like learn and you know and teach it and make it interesting as as um... but you
0: do a very good job of the teach Sam I should be it should be noted you do a very good job. One thing I really like about particularly board beans and is that for lockdown, looking for new board games, I have my usual places I go to say on YouTube or BGG for recommendations, you know, from people who I feel like have similar interests to me even though I don't know them. And but, and that can take a little bit of time, you know, cross, cross-referencing cross and, and things, which has its own charm. But, you know, I, I, walk, I sidle over to this huge kind of selection of games and Fraser's like, okay, so what kind of things do you usually like playing? Oh, okay, mm. well if you like that, you'll like this. And if you like that, you'll you'll definitely like this. And and obviously the more times you go there, the more they understand the kinds of things that you like playing and therefore recommendations come thick and fast. And the games we played, Sam, were entirely recommendations that came from Fraser. You know, that that that's a mark of a good cafe that you can kind of get those recommendations, sorry, that just do speak to you based on the player count, based on your temperament, based on your experience and levels of patience and stuff you don't like and stuff you do like, really. And it's really lovely to kind of have that language that isn't just typing something randomly into Google. Yeah. To have that kind of discourse, it's great.
2: I guess my other problem with it is is that I play the games and I love them, want to play again, so I, I buy them. But I, yeah. I was very responsible. We, we played quite a
0: lot recently when we went and I only bought one, so... I, yeah, I only bought one as well, actually, which was... I just saw it at the bottom of the shelf and it was because our table was next to it, and it. I'd been looking at it and I'd heard about this game a while ago and I'd always wanted to give it a go because it looked like a lot of fun and it was just there and I thought, oh yeah, definitely. There's something about obviously having something there in in person yeah, compared to uh, seeing it online. At, at the very least, you can kind of gauge how big the box is and you go, oh, okay, right, yeah. That's not taking up a lot of shelf space. That looks really nice and very twee, I'm having that. So I, I pinched, go- oh, I didn't pinch, sorry. I bought... <laughs> <laughs> I was
1: going to say, because now you're not allowed Support back. Support, no. local business. Yes, <laughs>
0: definitely. I bought Gotown from Helvetique Games. Mm, We've spoken about Helvetic in the past, haven't we, oh, Sam? Oh, Love them.
2: Absolutely love them.
0: Very distinct graphical style, which I really, really love. They did... A Compromat, I think, didn't they? Compromat was one Compromat. of those. Compromat. Bandido. Yes. I didn't know they've got a Bandida, Sam. Did you see they that? They do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, do. yeah. Um, so I bought Go Town, and which... In a nutshell, it is it's just a kind of unbridled kind of restrained silliness, I should say. A very quick, I say quick, about 20-minute card game where you have a hand of a deck of cards and the majority of the cards are floors, and the aim of the game is to be the first to have five floors in a building. And the way you do that is you on your go, you can play as many cards from your hand as possible to so play a floor that has to be two cards and both the cards have numbers on them and they have to add up to 9, exactly 9. Neither above or below, and you just go around and you do that. Um, if you've got, if you look around the table and somebody on their top floor has got a number that you need to complete your floor, you can steal their card, combine it with one of yours, and add a floor. And their floor, the rest of their floor, is instantly destroyed. So you get this really interesting kind of rubber banding, where buildings will get really, really high, and then within thirty seconds they're back to zero again. And there's something quite funny about it. There's a kind of a little bit of take that that gets into a little bit of silliness. But what tempers that is little things like a dog, which you can kind of play a dog card, and it guards your top floor so no one can touch that, unless somebody plays a bone card, which lures the dog away. Or somebody may play a jackhammer, which wrecks another person's floor. Or even a wrecking ball can be played and there's only one of them in the deck and that will take out your floor regardless if there's a dog there or not. Or maybe I play this card here, the thief's card, which allows me to steal a card from somebody's hand. Or better still, play this one, which means I get to steal a card from everyone's hand. Or I can skip that person's go or skip everyone's go. So it's just this frantic kind of sense of, oh, well, there's no chance I'm going to beat them. So hang on, whoa, whoa, suddenly I'm winning. How did that happen? Mm.
2: It's a bit like, you know, we spoke about muffin time the other day and flux and actually go town is shares a lot of dna with with those kind of games like you're winning one second and then you don't play for two rounds because everyone's just decimated your building and Mm. like forced you to to skip goes like i i won the game and i won literally from a position of having nothing i was able just to make like combination and and win very very quickly and like games like muffin time and games like flux operate in the same way as chris said like, like rubber banding going from places of you know um positions of security and and success to then you know failure and kind of like insecurity on the on the other end and but what go town does which is a bit more which is actually quite interesting is like creates that same sort of feeling of, of of stretch and flexibility in the game but it, it does feel like more logical in the way it does it like flux and muffin time rely on the randomness and the crazy zany you know cards to create that sense of flux and and rubberiness to mm. it mm. whereas go town is all very like yeah that makes sense yeah no the donut van turns up so we all skip a go of, of, of course yeah of course the dog is guarding the the top floor of that so it has like a consistency to its
1: logic in some
2: yeah way. E- exactly so part of me thinks that makes it more frustrating when you know plans go awry because you can't just blame like randomness and silliness for it mm. but also when things go right you kind of yeah, that was a good turn. Yeah, well, you, you look around the table and go, "Yeah, you," because you've really got to use the cards in certain orders and and play them in certain ways to really get the benefit of, of of each of their abilities to be able to build the towers. I think that's pretty much the only way that you could that you could do it. So, yeah, you bemoan the fact that someone's taking your tower because they've done it with very strategic and logical thinking, like. It's not just a silly random thing on a card, and whether I was able to hold my breath for the longest or anything like that. But consequently, I think when someone does something good, everyone kind of goes, "Yeah, good move. Yeah, you've really thought about, you know."
0: Yeah, and it reminds me a little bit of that game you and I played of Silk Sam, where it just became quite silly, and we were <laughs> deliberately just logically. It I was we were making decisions that weren't helping us beneficially. They were just there to annoy the other person. Yes. And there's a little bit of that here. You can't really begrudge the fact that somebody's stolen the top floor of your building because you're going to get to do it very, very soon. And it and you just end up just laughing because everyone is doing it, yeah. and it just so happens, you know, one of you in this case, Sam, gets their five floors first. You know, it mm-hmm. could have been anyone around the table. Yeah. And so there's no hard feelings with it, and I, I I really like it for that. And I played this with my parents, and before before we even started playing, after I just explained the rules, my mum was like. Oh, yeah i'm gonna like this i'm gonna like this And i bought them a copy of it and they love it i just keep getting pictures of it sent to me from her of just people playing this game with them because she likes that take that element definitely right um when it feels fair i know that sounds very strange but like the sense that you don't have to have game the game to to be able to enact that yeah. you know anyone can do it and as long as we're all on the same playing field as long as we're all doing it that feels fair then mm-hmm. um, do you see what i mean so yeah, it, absolutely. I really, I really, I, I like it. Definitely. I don't know if it's because I'm in the kind of honeymoon period of it at the moment, but it's an it's a nice filler, and I haven't played a nice little filler for a it's while. A, it's really.
2: a throw it in your bag game, isn't it, Chris? Along with Bandido. it's you know it you know it is another game that you could just throw in your bag and and you know share Bandido solo, but Go Town definitely feels like the same sort of size game, but a, an experience you can share with other people. I'm I'm desperate to try. More from Helvetic Forest is another one that I'm quite yes, they had that, that on the shelf. The board beans. Yeah. So, yeah, just their games are so good. Like Compromat is probably the no, you, at the moment, it's probably the the go to two player game that I play with you, Chris. So, it's you know. yeah,
0: it's one of my general my favorite two player games. I should say that Gotan is by Morton and Alexander Bonavance with art by Michelle Raymond. Just a little bit of mm. shout out there because the art is really cool as well. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I was drawn to it
2: now. Obviously, when you go to somewhere like a board game, cafe, whatever, they've got all, you know, tons and tons of games. You know, there's, there's a PDF for, for board beans that you can print out. Don't know why you would laminate, possibly, and peruse at your leisure to see what you might want to play next time you go. But, of course, I'm the madman who brings his own games <laughs> who checks that list for games what? they don't have and then brings <laughs> No,
0: Pete, it, was like, it, was Pete, it was like a, a Sergio Leone western where the cowboy just walks through the door and everyone just turns and looks and the person stops playing the piano
2: <laughs> and of course I brought my own um, like token trays and
0: um, card Which holders nobody made fun of you, everyone's do like that's a really good idea, that's a really want, good idea
1: do you want to know something, I think I agree with those lads who were outside shouting at you <laughs> a lot
0: uh, that was a pokemon crowd
1: uh, yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i did bring a couple of games with me actually um one of which we can talk about uh later the expanse by jeff engelstein which i think is a really interesting case of like uh an exceptional game with maybe well no definitely not great artwork mm. uh, but we'll get on to that Um, But we also played Inkling, which is a a game that was only released this year from Osprey. Great.
0: Fast becoming one of my favourite word games.
2: Yes. So the reason why I want to talk about it, not only is it like a great game uh, by John Keyworth, and it's got great art by um, uh, Quan Chai Moriah. But yeah, it's just another, because we talked about Masterword the other time, and, and I've been thinking a lot since then about, you know, what makes a good word game Hmm. and inkling kind of demonstrates a lot of a lot of what i think makes a good word game first of all i don't really like scrabble i went through a period of playing scrabble with a partner like ages and ages for ages and ages like we played it all the time like i it it got to certain levels where we bought a scrabble dictionary and you know i learned all the two letter words for scrabble so i could like dominate and basically cheat the system and then ever Hmm. since then i've kind of gone well You know, am I really having fun with words here? Or am I just manipulating the odds of what's in the bag? And then like Bananagrams was the first sort of word game that I played, which kind of smashed this illusion that Scrabble is like the be all and end all of of word games. And Bananagrams is is a great sort of... It is a great chucking in your bag game. Because it just comes in a nice little banana pouchy. It's lovely. And Inkling... It's actually exceptionally chaotic for, you know, a genre of games that we kind of feel is quite cerebral and kind of quiet, you know, around right. the table. Quite a lot of what we assume, like, all right, we're going to play a word game now, like Decrypto or Code Names, you know. A, 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 you know, a, quite a lot of your time in, like, Master Word is spent sort of pensive thinking and, you know, deduction and trying to you know think of the best word to describe something and capture everything. However inkling is a word game which is all about creativity and it's all about creation and I love it for that. So how inkling works is you get this deck of these cards you know wonderfully artfully made and they each have them on a letter, one of the 26 letters of, of the alphabet. However the way the letters are constructed, they're constructed in such a way that they can be potentially manipulated to be any other of the letters of the alphabet. So, for example, an S is broken through the middle, so you could make that S into a C, or you could cover over half of it and make it into an N, or cover over half of it and make it into a into a U. You could turn on its side and maybe it's a W, turn it around and maybe it's an M. And so how inkling works is everyone gets a secret card, which has on it six words, three words that are worth one point, two words that are worth two, and one word that's worth three. So the more points the word, the longer and more difficult it is to spell out. And everyone has a hand of these these letter cards. And then you just go. And then you just got to use these letter cards to, to try and spell out as many of these words as as you can, you know turning over cards covering over partial cards joining up cards together and overlapping to create a letter you know like turning an l into a t or you know turning an n into a z or it, it, and it's just it's it really feels like bonkers it really feels like a creative activity and an an exercise in sort of word chaos and i think what kind of sums it up is uh, is that how the game scores is that you get points for how many words the people on your left and right get correct of yours so everyone sort of guesses the person looks at the left and looks at the right and tries to guess what the words are but you get points for how many of the words you guess correctly of the people sitting right and left of you are and when we played it they got a point where we're all just like i've got to stand up you know when we like pushed our benches aside and we're all just like looking over the table like the guy who runs a cafe started come over i'm just like yep got that one yep got." and i was like i I can't can you give me a clue because i can't and like you know it was almost like we were all looking at like separate magic eye pictures like i was like leaning in crossing my eyes pulling my eyes away to try and like form this image of this word that that chris um that chris is uh, like not creative but almost curated like the way that the letters are you don't ha- you will never have the letters that you need to sp- you might be if you're lucky but definitely for the longer words you do not have the letters that you need to make to make these words so you have to be creative you have to spell things wrong you have to suggest and manipulate and, and sort of really sort of play to your opponent's sort of sense of logic and sense and like we were just you know standing up around the table like giggling and laughing at like all these like wonderful little like tableaus we'd all created and like trying to guess guess all these words and i think for me the one thing a word game should always do is make you feel clever Mm -hmm. and not make you feel like an idiot for not knowing quote unquote the long words an inkling passes on both those scales because you feel enormously clever for having made you know i mean chris is a great example if you go onto our twitter or instagram page you'll see how he managed to spell architect which is a work of art like like he was able to like do that and not feel like an idiot you know for not knowing what an architect is or you know just so like that's what a word game's got to do an inkling's incredible at doing that
0: no i should say i do know what an architect is
2: um, <laughs> yeah but yeah but what i'm saying is you don't know you don't need to know how to spell
0: it in Scrabble, no, for example. exactly no i agree no definitely like one thing i do like is it gives you a degree of flexibility just in case you feel oh i've just been hand, hand, dealt this hand of cards there's no way i can do yeah. anything with this each round you get more cards but also you have the opportunity to shed some cards and draw up and obviously there's a little bit of a risk there what if i get rid of something that actually is more useful than what I'm about to pick up but it's a really interesting choice okay what do I get rid of and my strategy was okay well I'll, I'll just risk it and just get rid of multiples of stuff because I'd rather have it it's better actually to get something that looks more like a squiggle than an actual letter because I've got something to play with then it's easy for me to kind of lean into that ambiguity it might be that I have every single letter apart from one and I'm hoping that Sam will be able to fill in the gaps per se and kind of get what I'm going for so what you're trying to do almost is it, you're trying to make it something distinctive like your own handwriting, really, but yeah. with these mm, patterns and certain twists and, of a card, a tilt of a card in one direction can be just enough to turn a B into an A or whatever. Say, for example, you, you've got you've to really take creative licence.
2: So Inkling, yeah, was, was the one game. Was one game that I brought, um, but I also brought uh, the Expanse, and the Expanse is uh, is a originally a, a series of books by James S. A. Corey, uh, which is actually two people, but they write under the pseudonym of Wampus. And the Expanse always struck me as interesting is because it's a it is it's kind of sci-fi slash hard sci-fi fiction book. It's kind of set in a time where we are not like super duper future fast cars or living forever inside Mm -hmm. robot bodies. We're not like where we are now, like just managing to re-land a a, a rocket back onto a a launch pad. Like it's it's somewhere in between those two where like humans have, you know, populated um, Mars and, you know, humans are existing but just inside like places of our solar system. And there's still a big sort of like presence on Earth. It's kind of just like a natural sort of, if you want an expansion of the species out. And the book kind of deals with, as well as like a big bad, like a big sort of thing that's threatening civilization. But it mainly deals with quite a lot of the social, uh, governmental politics of what if humans, but over yep. a bigger sort of uh, breadth of times, So The Expanse board game is a board game of The Expanse, or more specifically, the board game of the TV show, The Expanse.
1: Okay, because there's also an Expanse RPG published mm. by Green Ronin, which is what I thought that this was going to be about.
2: No, sorry. You, no, sorry if I got you excited. No, this is the, the board game designed by okay. our good friend, Jeff Engelstein who, again, we have spoken about on this podcast before. We played... Pit Crew. Uh, pit Crew and Super Skill Pinball 4 k
1: Oh, this is the lad who makes... who wrote that book and you really like it.
2: Yes, he does. The lad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff Engelstein is kind of one of those names, a bit like Rainer Knizia, where they'll make a game, I'll be like, right, I'm interested. Doesn't matter, you know, what it is, what's going on, I'm interested in 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 this, so. WizKids were very kindly enough to send us a copy of Expanse and its 2019 expansion, Doors and Corners. Okay. And the best way to describe this game is to describe another game, which is extremely niche, um, but which is why I know you'll, not, you'll know it, Pete, because yeah, yeah. we, we've played it for two hours. So, Twilight Struggle.
1: Oh, yeah! Love a Bit of Twilight Struggle.
2: So if if you if you've been around the hobby for any sort of protracted period of time you will have heard about twilight struggle it it was like top of board game geek for for it's ages and ages and ages it's, it's an absolute sort of classic of the hobby even if it's maybe not be it, it, it isn't it is a recognized sort of classic of the hobby it's a game which recreates the cold war basically one it's a two-player game one player plays america the other players plays uh the ruskies and yeah it's all right. We, we we played it digitally and I couldn't... And I remember when we played it, Pete, I said over and over again, I could not imagine what this is like to play uh, physically because the amount of like computing and yeah. things that we had to track and different areas of influence and like different tokens and stuff that would have to be on the mm-hmm. board would just be absolutely impossible. Mm-hmm. However, the the crux of, of Twilight Struggle, and I think why people really enjoy it as a game, is it goes off the system where... When you play a card as a player, you either play that card and play the event on it, so the action described. So say, for example, I play a card and it says on it, draw two cards. So I can either play that card and then draw two cards, but that card will also have a number on it. So, Say, for example, it's a number four. But instead of playing it for draw two cards in this example, I can use those four points that are on the card to move four troops or to take three tokens from this area and move them there and then take one token from that area and move it there or build four tanks or something like that. Mm-hmm. However, if I decide to do that, my opponent can then use the event, draw two cards. And that's kind of the the tug of war that goes on in Twilight Struggle. Do I use it for the event? Do I use it for the points? If I use it for the points, I'm giving my, my opponent access to the event. What are they going to do with that? Etc. So the Expanse uses the same system as twilight struggle however everything is a lot more stripped back everything is a lot more dialed down i hate to say it's my first twilight struggle but it kind of is i don't
1: necessarily think that's a bad thing but yeah exactly
2: it's not a bad thing and also the player count is ramped up to at least four players
1: okay that's good
2: and you know what it's really really it's a really really good area control game mm-hmm. and there is something really innately delicious about that system and it's employed here in a way that is really you know it's it's always going to be compelling that there's always going to be something you want to do in the game that's going to take action points but if i do it the people around the table are going to be able to do x y and z and that's just you know if you strip that all away that's just a really compelling piece of like game theory in its in itself and the expanse you know pulls it all off everyone plays sort of asymmetrically we're all doing different we all can do different things like one of us is the un one of us is mars one of us is the rebel belters um the other one someone else can be um the big corporate and um, powerhouse it's the center of the at least i know that least first two expanse books and they all operate in a different way like the un um, can put lots of um, influence and um, diplomatic effort into areas the martians are a lot more aggressive and they have a lot more like fleets and military power but but so not done in a way that's like overly like root it's not like root it's not like a whole different rule set a whole different like way of thinking and mechanics it's just like little things that just give you the suggestion of like this is what your what your team is like. This is what your you know your organization is like to play with. And you just you're on this map which has all these different like bases and everything's like surrounding in the solar system. So you've got like Earth and you got like Jupiter and the bases are all of Jupiter's moons and Saturn and Mars. And it's just a little area control game where you're just like moving ships around putting influence down onto bases and then whoever's got the most influence and presence in a location gets certain scores and certain points and if you like that kind of thing if you like the games of like diplomacy and sort of like a gentle like war game and a gentle um sort of area control experience where you are you know thinking about how to move and manipulate sort of tokens around geographical spaces in a region in order to eke out the most points from an area Mm. all surrounding this wonderful like like card system of balancing events plus points the expanse like absolutely nails it I remember the the guy we were playing with Chris was was really taken with it wasn't he it? just oh really- he,
0: lo- he loves this sort of stuff definitely yeah. like i played gaia project with him a few months ago which we rented from Board beans and he really really loved that because it does scratch that itch you're you, you're kind of moving cubes and tokens but to pick up on what sam was saying it isn't a game board that is full of cubes no you're not going to accidentally brush your sleeve and then have done away with an hour's worth of game mm-hmm. um so there's there's enough there doesn't intimidate you but enough that it's enough there for you to to sink your teeth into really which is quite nice
1: but as a a, as a licensed product Mm. how how thematic is it because there's always that push and shove of do you make a license board game that is close to the subject material as in the one ring for example like you're trying to replicate um, you're trying to replicate, you know, the Lord of the Rings, right? You're trying to, or the War of the, War for the Ring, for example. You're trying to replicate specific specific parts of the story, basically, right? Do you do that, or do you do you go in a different direction where you take on? You know, you you use some of the ideas and the settings, but you actually provide a very different kind of an experience that isn't meant to replicate the story, but it's meant to replicate the tone, the feel. Like, what, what, what's, how does this, how does this stack up in that way?
0: It's the second one, because as Sam alluded to, like, I mean, I'm only in series three of The Expanse, I've not read any of the novels, but there are different arcs that take place. This isn't trying to replicate that in the same way as something like War of the Ring does, where you are the Fellowship your quest is the same as the the main thrust of the book to get the ring to Mordor. Here you're very much in the world of the expanse and the delineation kind of factors in relation to those cards. So yes, Sam could choose to take the points and that allows his opponents to use the action on that card, but only if their faction is eligible to use that card. So there were Mm. certain cards for me as a belter, for example. I just didn't have access to because they were something that only the Martians and the Earthers could have and vice versa. So there are these slight little modifications there that that kind of add a little bit of variability that feel like you're distinctive you feel like again like it is in the world of the expanse of these factions there's this uneasy tensions between them and occasional alliances i can't remember what it was called sam at the end of each round we get access to a tech card or a technology card so you're kind of upgrading with each round as well and again that that lends itself to the themes i see earth has got these massive cubes um Mm -hmm. mars has got ships because they're all about firepower me I've got these tiny little scrappy ships I'm very good at kind of building stuff from scratch as it were so I can kind of surreptitiously move around and I was very good at getting the majority of ships in certain places because of it so I never ever felt that it was unbalanced I think Engelstein's done a fantastic job of honoring the various factions of the show Um, and you're feeling like you're playing in the expanse without playing the expanse's story if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, there's the Rosty, the ship there that every player has access to though. And and that pick, speaks to the fact that throughout the narrative that ship forms its own little mini alliances with different factions. It it's it, it, it's 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 an it's this kind of unexpected kind of pawn within this kind of larger kind of global threat, this global conflict really. And the fact that we all get access to that is great really.
2: You know, a tight hour for three of us. You know Ooh. where me me and you Pete played Twilight Struggle for maybe two hours and we didn't even.
1: No, we did. We did. We 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 did, did finish. We finish? The, yeah, the, no. the 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 atomic bomb finished us off.
2: Oh right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember. But after like two hours. Oh of... yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I dread to think what that would be as a as a as a sort of cardboard version.
2: So yeah. So the expanse is you know exceedingly tight. It's only an hour, and like unlike most of games in this sort of in this sort of genre this semi sort of like war very what seemingly very serious lots of tokens representing military might and all this kind of influence the expanse is, was a really easy game for me to teach especially in like you know a board game cafe environment because you only ever do one thing you pick up a card that's it and the card determines either how many actions you can take this turn or what event you're going to you're going to play out and that's it so we were able to set up the board and I was able to go like, right, you're playing first, Chris. Pick a card. And that was it. And and you pick a card from this shop front almost. A bit like, strangely, Concordia, even though I bought it with me. And so the, the, the card at the top, you don't have to pay anything for. Uh, The second cards, second and third cards, cards are like one point each of your own like victory points to pay for. And they get more expensive as they come along. So what's interesting about How like scoring works, and how what Chris was saying about like when the end of rounds come around, is that the scoring cards will appear in that track. So there is situations where you can be like, I'm looking in really good shape, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the scoring card, and we're gonna trigger a scoring round right now. And we had an instance where um, the guy we were playing with was dominating, and he was able to trigger two scoring rounds back to back, and like really make it like an interesting contest. And it's all of these really, really nice sort of tight, interesting decisions where if you're someone just like new or interested in the hobby, this could be a brilliant gateway game. It's like, oh, I really liked how this game does that right here, something else. I really liked how this game handled, you know, asymmetry. Well, here's Root, you know, crack on if you love asymmetry. Like, however, <laughs> there is one part of this game where I feel like it really dips in in such an exceptional way that really does put me off bringing it to the table again not so much that i'm not going to because i think we've already all, already kind of said like that we'd all like to play it again especially with the um expansion the doors and corners expansion which adds like things like variable setup chris it like randomizes the techno the technology skills that we get at the end of each round so those are kind of different and you can't like judge them it adds like um changes like different win states and different scoring opportunities so i think and they're all like modular things that you can add on to kind of like really beef up or just like gently adjust how the experience goes that sounds like then that's what a good expansion should be doing however for whatever reason they chose and probably priced more than anything because you know making artwork and hiring a designer and all that kind of stuff is expensive so they've just taken shots from the tv show and and used it for the card art and used it for some of the other like the player mats Hmm. and if you haven't seen the show and if you don't know who these people are then for for example like the crew of the rossinante i think that's how you pronounce it like because I've only read the books, I know what they're like in my head. I know what that ship is like in my head. If you have a card that's like called Last Resort or whatever, I have a picture in my head of what that might look like in the Expanse universe. However, this is all a cast of characters, you know, pictures from the the sets and snapshots, like representing um, some of the things on the cards. And it feels like a real hodgepodge of of design and it got to a point where i wasn't even looking at the pictures anymore i was just reading the text on the card Hmm. because i had no interest or the picture didn't really directly relate to you know the text on the card and i was crying out for something like you know we've all played jaws and jaws i think is a fantastic example of a board game that's like referencing or directly inspired by an ip so the jaws film but it has its own art direction, has its own art style. It's not just pictures of um, Richard Dreyfus. Dreyfus, yeah. It's not just pictures of Richard Dreyfus on the beach with a fag hanging out of his mouth. It's like, you know, there's, you know, there is real artwork and it's evocative and it's interesting and yeah, you're thinking about the film and you're thinking about da da all the time, but the art is just enough to the side of that which makes it its own thing and makes you feel like, um, you know, which is its own thing and evocative for for that. However, The Expanse, it's just pictures of people I don't know and um, an art of things that I can't, that aren't tangible, that I can't grab hold on, that I can't feel anything for because they're just pictures of people on, on a TV set. It's really, it's really odd for a game that's so mechanically sound and interesting and I think it's a testament to the actual design of that we all really enjoyed it despite the art not being really that, that interesting
1: I get really easily turned off by Lovecraft stuff when it do- doesn't really fit my view of what I think Lovecraft is and, uh, and I've been playing Call of the Sea on Chris's recommendation and I will be Focusing my attention Chris on you the Yeah and me because I picked it up Because Chris was like it's on sale It's on everyone. sale oh, we it, it just... looked look, look quite good And Chris I'm here to go to bat For Call of the Sea I think it is really good hmm. um, So In terms of like in terms of the Lovecraft thing It's bright and colourful And it's got a female Character so it's absolutely Nothing like most of Lovecraft's Work but what it does share is it does start. It, it, it's about there's a mysterious island. There's a, a strange incurable disease. There's a group of people that you learn about them steadily starting to unravel, uh, both physically and mentally. There's a, a there's strange cult-like um, elements to the game. There is a sort of foreign culture that is un- that is not understandable and has never been known uh to people in the west and again that's quite thematic with lovecraft's work and initially because it's a beautiful you know it's a beautiful looking game i think um for a, for a uh, small studio to, to to be putting together and initially i was really put off by the by by the, the sort of color uh, uh the, as in the deep amount of color that there was and the fact that there didn't seem to be any sort of immediate threat like there was no like there are no enemies in the game uh spoilers there are no there's not really any way to die it, it, it's 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 a it's mist basically it's it it's what we would have thought of as like the, the witness the witness it's like mist it's like riven it's you know it's like zork grand inquisitor like it, it it's these kind of it's a first person adventure in which you solve puzzles around a defined geographical location you get to know that space quite well but it's all presented in 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 sort of glorious 3d um and uh and it's, it's bright and tropical and it's lovely but then there are these little moments that really reminded me of the the unexpected from things like silent hill from things like lovecraft when he when he When he turns on a dime halfway through a sentence and sort of presents you with why this is shocking there are little moments of that early on that made me go huh okay so then i kept playing through it and i kept playing through it and the game starts to ramp up the the stakes for the character if not for you and by the end of it by the end of it i thought to myself this is this is an excellent this is an excellent uh, Lovecraftian adventure, very different to um, to what was written at the time. Very different to most media. Uh, you know, you mentioned um, literally be- uh, Call of Cthulhu, which is based on um, I believe it's based on the tabletop role playing game. Uh, but there's a video game version um, uh, that recently came out. Nothing like that. Nothing like uh, the Sinking City. Nothing like nothing like those games. It isn't. It isn't all dark, goopy tentacles. It isn't all mm-hmm. strange. Uh, twisted abominations it isn't it isn't anything like that it but it's but it's a very different story and it actually reminds me strangely of Lovecraft's ghostwritten work for people like Harry Houdini where he actually because he had to write in a slightly different tonal style he still shared some of the mythos in some of his ghostwritten work and the style feels very different partly because he's writing with the writer and making revisions, partly because he's ghostwriting it and trying to get a different voice. But it reminds me a lot of that. Reminds me a lot of the the dreamlands that he wrote about as well um, that are kind of part of the mythos. We, I think they are part of the mythos. Um, they certainly have retroactively been added in. And it just reminded me that, that there's a lot to Lovecraft's. There's a lot of depth to the mythos that is kind of not explored. And instead we end up with these black and green video games uh-huh. that are you know that are just kind of a lot you know yeah okay i get it there's a tentacle but okay right yeah okay i shouldn't look at this thing because it'll make me go mad yeah all right that's fine like yeah yeah so I-, I thought it was a really refreshing take on it and i thought the puzzles as a stupid person i thought the puzzles were <laughs> just just at the no. right level Bonkers. just right Bonkers. right level i didn't have to look i only had to look at one uh, no. thing for a guide
0: Okay, Sam's about to present a rebuttal, I think, Peter. Yes,
1: mm. I agree with you uh,
2: with its presentation of, of of Lovecraftian themes and ideas. I think it, it I think it is the best thing that I've played and encountered encountered outside of the original works mm. that I that actually demonstrates what Lovecraft is all about. Like my only sort of exposure to it has been a couple of video games and mainly the Arkham Horror um Mm -hmm. car game with with chris which is very much about like lots of things attacking you fighting them back don't read that book Uh oh you got mental (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's good and you know i enjoyed it but it's very much leaning into the horror Stress, enemy, stress, yep. fighting off mm-hmm. stuff. Scientists reading books and going crazy. Mm-hmm. However, what I really enjoyed about the Call of the Sea was the the idea of discovery, the idea of sharing. Someone who had who has a very strong scientific mind, mm-hmm. looking at this island, examining it, um, searching and searching for answers within it, mm. and encountering the same horror the same stress the same mental anxiety that we did and i've seen in other lovecraftian games but done with a measure of delicacy and interest mm-hmm. that i've not seen before and i and i really really enjoyed that mm-hmm. i thought i thought that was but the, the character themselves I, I thought well well on the on the last part, I gave uh, an excerpt of some of their, quote-unquote, internal dialogue. Mm. I just think, like, with with a narrative in the way that's presented, I just think that it was... I think there's just a dramatic misstep. Like, they do so much well with, like, th- some of the environmental storytelling and, and some of those Lecafantian elements. Yeah. That just to have this character whittling onto herself all the time, mm-hmm. es- espousing mental thoughts for the sake of some um for the sake of trying to elicit some response from from the player um was really heavy-handed and like in the example i gave on the last show about like oh i've woken up after that dream after my mum died and she gave me that you know music box and it's just like fair enough she's saying that but this is a game that also includes like a journal which is really quite detailed and really well written and interesting And for you to solve the puzzles relies you to use that journal mm-hmm. quite forensically. Mm. So it's not like they're giving up information that you feel like the players might miss. It just feels like it's just like story for the sake of story. Like there's no faith in 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 the characters in the character's voice. Like I would have been much more invested in in her as a character if she just had a bit more of a genuine voice. It just felt like just explain and then and then when that came to like the puzzles there was such an unnatural way that the character spoke about the puzzles and never seemed to put two and two together and never seemed Uh to uh make those leaps or jumps and conclusions that would make some sort of narrative sense to me the player but also give me some sort of clue as to where i was like i really struggled with the puzzles really i found them exceptionally obtuse i found them um wildly um varying on on, in 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 terms of difficulty Mm -hmm. and i think most of that was coming from the point of there was never any indication of am i in the right place right now to solve this puzzle like i spent 20 minutes trying to solve a puzzle but not knowing that no you just don't know how to solve this puzzle yet yeah yeah and like i think that's when you use the character's voice to give some sort of a hint to the player like oh i should go and explore some more before, before i do this or mm-hmm. i should go and like there was just that 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 was for me was was the thing about it just like this wild inconsistency with the character and their voice led me just to get really confused at times i, th-
1: I think you're right and 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 i would say that like 80 percent of the narrative design is really smart like yeah. like some of the environmental storytelling is really great some of the in fact actually i i would go so far to say it's superb like there are but there is some environmental storytelling which is really yeah all right mate i've played system shock like like very like okay we're gonna do the scrolling in uh you know we're gonna do the scrolling on the walls now are we oh and here's the 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 journal where it sort of ends and the there's a you know gets to the end and then there's a sort of scrape down the page because somebody's been hurt or something but it is a little bit uneven in that way. And, I, and, and this is going to sound like an absolutely terrible thing for me to say, uh, but stick with me. I actually think that they should have made the character mostly silent. Mm-hmm, I agree. Um, I think that her voice is really could have been used really powerfully in the writing in the journal, which I thought was great. could have been used really powerfully if you heard it ever so often. Uh, like i think for example they do this really well in uh the two playstation 4 uncharted's uh, lost legacy uh, and um, and and number 4 Feak sand so. uh yeah and and where where drake for example will only say things out loud when he's trying to convey really trying to convey an emotion like you know he's just leapt over a chasm and it's really and scrambled up the side and he's got away from these people who've been shooting and now he's run around the corner and he'll sort of say "Whew, got away from that one or like you know something along those lines will in like he will break the tension and it the dialogue serves this really good purpose in breaking the tension making you laugh as a player and saying to you you're safe right mm-hmm. whereas in this one she just wit us on and like mm-hmm. like it it it's it's a shame because basically she doesn't have that much interesting stuff to say most of the time whereas when she does have interesting stuff to say she's really talking about the things that we couldn't possibly know about her um where where she's kind of reminiscing about there are moments where she's kind of, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a really good moment when she's headed towards a specific um, part of the island and you're on a boat and she's just kind of talking and reminiscing. And by this point in the story, she's seen some stuff and it would make sense for her being alone to start talking about herself, to start unraveling slightly. And, but they never, use, they never use her talking to herself as a sense of her unraveling. They just use it as a, hey, player, here's some backstory we didn't want to show you. So instead, we're just going to tell you about it, which I think kind of sucks. And I do agree with you that some of the puzzles are a little bit, am I in the right location for it? I never really ran up against those problems, I've got to say. And I think once once I did have the, everything I absolutely needed, I think there's only one or two occasions where I was like, what do I need now? I think the puzzle's, Range, uh, they certainly range in quality, certainly, but I do think that there are some really smart ones in there, especially around cracking codes and patterns and, and that kind of stuff. Which, again, I kind of feel really leans into the, the Lovecraftian, it's staring you in the face, but you can't understand it. Uh, feel to the whole thing, yeah, it's it, uneven basically, is, is what I would say. Yeah. And yeah. this to me, and here's the thing, uh, like I'm glad I don't review games anymore. <laughs> Because, because basically, like, I wouldn't know what to what score to give this, right? Like, to me, this is either this is either a six or an eight, right? Yeah. It's either oh, I really had a great time. If, if only there was a number in between. <laughs> no, but it's not that. <laughs> we create one there. <laughs> but it's not between that. It's <laughs> it's like at times it feels like a five and a six. It feels like a really ham-fisted, like some really mm-hmm. really ham-fisted storytelling. Um, and then at times it's like an eight or a nine, like the, the visual detail, the little nods and references where if you've read all of Lovecraft's work, like I have, there are these little nods and winks where you're like, <gasps> and you'll see these things coming over time. Like, and it's, it, it's, it's brilliant. And to me, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those, like you either, you'll either really get it and really like, not even get it. You're like, it'll either be your jam or it won't. And what was it for you, Chris, now that you recommended three people buy it?
0: Yeah, sorry about (laughs) that. (laughs) Okay, that was another episode of Staying In with myself, Chris Darby, Peter Willington and Sam Turner. Hope you're doing okay. Um, Hope you enjoyed that episode. We covered quite a lot of ground there, actually. There was some laughter, there was some tears, and we learned a lot about each other and what we eat before bed because that's now a thing apparently. Okay, you're probably irritated by me um, harping on about this all the time, but I'm going to do it. Stayinginpod.com is where you can find us if you want to. You don't have to, but if you want to, it's there. I don't know, just in case our voices aren't enough. You want to kind of see what we look like and Instagram will solve that for you. Also, our Twitter page as well, um, as well as our Facebook page at staying in pod is all you need to kind of navigate your way to and through those various different platforms. The Instagram feed, to be honest, is my personal favorite. Um, I don't tend to do social media, but the gram is where it's at. And Sam has been incredibly diligent with his unboxing of various different things. I think I saw a puppet there the other day. Absolutely fantastic stuff. And generally, anything we discuss or about to discuss on the pod, it'll often get a little bit of an unveiling or a playthrough on that page. Um, also, as well, if you just want to say hello to us, hello! Um, Stayinginpod at gmail.com is our email. However, if you want to give us a wide berth and you just want to kind of almost like The Expanse, just orbit us from a safe distance, then you can kind of check out our Board Game Geek page, which has a, a wonderfully curated list of every single board game we've reviewed on the pod. And likewise, our Steam curation page um, has on it all of the video game stuff we've talked about. I think that's it really for kind of stage business and housekeeping. So... um See you in two weeks. Uh, Take care. Have a good one. Bye.